Welcome. Good to see everybody here and good to see you in the chapel and also in the gym. I'm so glad that you're here. One thing that I've learned about myself through this whole not seeing everybody for three months is that uh, I can't stand preaching to a camera. (laughs) You guys are really helping me out today. I just really appreciate you being here to uh, allow this 30 minutes for me to go pleasant because, uh, I don't know, your responses um, to me of maybe a little smile or maybe even a frown, maybe even fall asleep, whatever those responses are, I need them, (laughs) whatever they are. So just bring them my way when I preach. Thank you so much for being here. I'm just so glad um, that you are here this morning. Uh, we are doing a four-week series called How to Be Fearless in Uncertain Times, and we landed in the book of Hebrews. And the reason why we landed in the book of Hebrews is because the book of Hebrews was written to people who were beaten down with an um, amazing amount of difficulty um, in their life. Uh, they were troubled. These people were willing to give up. They wanted to fold. They wanted to throw in the towel and say, I'm done with this. You know, this crazy life we're living in, it's over. It's getting worse and worse and worse. I give up. I don't want any more. That's the people that this book of Hebrews uh, was written to. And uh, we ended up on chapter 11 in Hebrews. And, and this is just a dialogue of um, some people who made it. Some people who had a very, very difficult life. And, um, but they made it. And they made it through this one word called faith. Because if you have faith, you can handle anything is what the chapter is, is saying. If you have faith, you can handle anything. And so we're going to definitely look at uh, a large passage um, in the book, and I will read it, and then we'll work through it and how it applies to us today as we are living in uncertain times. Let's just read Hebrews chapter 11, 29 through 40. By faith, people passed through the Red Sea as, as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions and quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful at battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released, so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put into prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so only together with us would they be made perfect. So when you see this passage, you can see some emotions that are taking place in very difficult times. And as you observe these emotions with these individuals that are even explained, you will see that there's peace, you'll see that there's rest, you'll see that there's joy, you will see that there's a strength that is beyond this world. So it will ask us the question, how does God want us to behave today in the world that we live in? How does God want us to feel today in the world that we live in? And and the title of the the series is How to Be Fearless in Uncertain Times. But I want to take that word fearless and I want to even bring it a little bit further. We are supposed to be fearless, 
but I believe we are supposed to have a complete peace as well. If the whole world continues to fall apart, what, is, what does the Bible say? I believe that we're supposed to have this peace that surpasses all understanding, that as the world crumbles, we have something, a peace, a confidence that gives us rest. It gives us joy. It gives us no anxiety. I think that we're supposed to feel no depression at this time. I think we can look at this world, and as we're looking at this world, we can just say, where is my anxiety? I don't, I don't have the anxiety. I think that's where God wants us to be. And I think that even beyond that, I think God wants our words to be completely seasoned with salt. A smile on our face, completely joy, and our words completely seasoned with salt. It's like, how can you watch the news and have our words be seasoned with salt? I mean, there's just, there's just no way that is incapable, we're incapable, capable of doing that, or how could that even be required? I think he wants all of our posts uh, that we put on Facebook, um, extremely encouraging, not argumentative at all. I think he wants every blog to be completely loving and completely not full of anxiety at all. I think he wants everything that comes out of a believer's life completely filled with joy, completely filled with happiness, completely filled with understanding, peace, and rest. And you might be thinking, well, how in the world do you get that? And I would say the way we get that is the same way that these champions of old, these heroes of faith, got it. Number one in our notes, to be fearless at uncertain times, and you can say fearless, no rest, rest, peace, joy, no anxiety, no depression, whatever it is. To be fearless at uncertain times, don't put your faith in resuscitation, put your faith in resurrection. Do not put your faith in resuscitation, put your faith and resurrection. Now I put word resuscitation, but I'd also use restoration or even rebuilding. There needs to be an anchor to our soul, and where does that anchor exist? I'll tell you a little story about an aircraft carrier that was going through the sea. Large naval ship, U.S. ship. And as they're going to the sea, they notice a light that was in a distance, and, and that light was in their path of travel. It was in their way. So they just got on the radio, and when they got on the radio, it says, yeah, this is a naval aircraft carrier, and we just want you to move two degrees north, and we want you to turn up your knots um, so we can get past you. And the light responded back on the radio and said, you turn two degrees north and speed up your knots. And this really ticked the aircraft carrier captain off because he was like, you know, we're a big, huge naval ship. We're not going to sit and go around little boats that are taking place in the sea. So he got on the radio a little more frustrated Sir, turn two degrees north and speed up your knots. We are coming right towards you. Response came back over the radio. You turn two degrees north and speed up your knots. And uh, now the aircraft carrier was mad. The, the ch- captain of the aircraft carrier is mad. So he got on with a very rough voice, a very mean voice. He said, this is the last time I'm going to say it. This is the largest ship in the United States, meaning the largest ship in the world, and we have 3,000 souls on board, and we are not moving. Therefore, Turn, last time, two degrees north, and speed up your knots, or it's going to look really ugly. person responded back and says, okay, we give up. Do whatever you want, but I just want you to know that we're a lighthouse. Wherever the rock is that we put our faith is going to be the strongest rock that we can possibly stand on no matter whatever takes place. Do you see what happens is that we grow anxiety if resuscitation is our goal. 
If we gotta, I'm sick, I've gotta be healed, I've gotta be redeemed, I have to be fixed. And if that is our passion, that is our mission, that is our rock, that is our foundation of faith that we stand on, what takes place when we're looking at that situation? Our anxiety grows, our anger grows, our doubt grows, our love for God grows because if I have faith, this is going to happen and it's not going to happen. And it happened over here and and then the frustration just continues to mount. And everything that God does not want us to have happens if resuscitation is the goal of faith or even restoration in regards of we need to restore the country that we live in. Therefore, we need to have faith to restore everything that is happening. We need to have faith to rebuild. Well, I mean, it's a task that I wouldn't want to restore the United States because I think it'd be a little, a little really difficult right now. In fact, I look at our president and I just want to go out break into tears with him. It's like, I am so glad I'm not in his shoes as what's going on right now. But even as we are in the church, we are looking at it, and as we're looking at it, it's like the church has to arise, the church has to do something big, the church has to do something large, resuscitation, restoration, rebuilding is there, and what takes place when that happens is that our anxiety builds, and everything that God does not want us to have, we all of a sudden have. (laughs) Because what he wants us to have is peace, joy, rest, happiness, encouraging, loving, not anxious, not depressed. He wants us not to be engaged in the world, but even be above the world. And the reason why he wants to be above the world is because the world needs us at this time. The world needs us at this time. Therefore, don't put your faith, all your faith, all your stock in restoration, rebuilding, or resuscitation. Put your faith in the one thing that is absolutely solid that you have received. And that is resurrection. Resurrection means what? It means not resuscitation. It means life. It does not mean rebuilding. It means rebuilt. It does not mean restoration. It means literally restored to life. That is the rock of salvation that we hang on to and the rock of salvation that we even look forward to in regards to our last day of resurrection. So let's just break down this passage um, a little bit, and we'll see as we break down the passage, we'll see the different personalities and the different situations that people are faced here. In fact, I would say that the passage, which the chapter, is broken into two different segments, two different halves, almost even two different people, two different situations. And uh, there's kind of this one side on the left, there's this one side that's on the right. And this, this side on the left, uh, in regards to two different people, is that these people had faith. And when they had faith, what happened? According to the passage, they shut the mouths of lions. When they had faith, they quenched the fiery flames. When they had faith, they started out weak, but then they became strong. Faith built this strength in them that made them overcome. They looked like they were defeated, but then all of a sudden they had faith in what took place. They overcame. They came on top of it. They had faith with overwhelming odds, but then all of a sudden when these odds looked like they could not be defeated, they completely triumphed. They conquered kingdoms, according to the passage. They took out armies. They administered justice. They escaped the edge of the sword. They looked like they were dead, but all of a sudden they came out alive. And the reason why is because they have faith. I will tell you that we love these stories. (laughs) And they should light us on fire as they do. Let's just break it down. Who, through faith, conquered kingdoms? Who are they talking about? Joshua, Gideon, Barak. I mean, these stories are in our Sunday school class. 
These are the stories preachers love to get behind. Preachers love to tell. Preachers like to preach on. I mean, think about Joshua conquering Canaan. Boy, his faith just conquered the world. It did. Administered justice. Who's it talking about? Samson. There's a movie that just came out with Samson. Oh, we love the movie in the sense that watch Samson just make justice happen on people that deserve justice. We love stories like that. Who shut the mouths of lions. Who's that talking about? Daniel and the lion's den. It's a fun sermon. Oh, I could preach Daniel and the lion's den forever. Because it's a beautiful, beautiful passage of how God intervened and rescued a man who was faithful. Quench the fury of the flames. Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. That's who it's talking about. Escape the edge of the sword. Who's it talking about? Well, I think we could look at a lot of people that escaped the edge of the sword. David even being one. Whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. And women received back their dead, raised to life again. This is kind of the last straw of victory that has taken place. In 2 Kings, the widow of Zarephath, Elijah raised from the dead, his son from the dead, and the Shumanite son, Elisha raised from the dead. And this is kind of the same thing that mothers were given back their children as a result of faith. We live in a culture where we love these stories, and we like our stories that take place here as well. I was sick, but now I'm healed. I was bankrupt, but by faith I overcame. I was suffering, but by faith, I am now completely entirely better. And when we look at these stories, they do fill us up, and they should fill us up. They should encourage us. They should drive us. They should send us. They should see <clears throat> they are given to us to, to proclaim what powerful God that we are dealing with, and it is a glorious story. However, if these stories and our concept of faith ends in chapter or verse 35 in this chapter, then we are weak individuals. Because what happens is the chapter then breaks. And when the chapter breaks, it breaks with one word, and the word is called others. But the others. So what happens is you listen to all these words, these guys, these guys, these guys, these guys, and all of a sudden, but the others. And then you go, well, well who are the others? Well, the others are not the ones that you hear in your Sunday school class. <laughs> the others are not the ones that you, you know, usually hear preaching from the pulpit. Because the others are people that had extraordinary faith and then were in the process. But the others, look at our passage, were tortured and refused to be released so that they can have a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put into prison. They were stoned and they were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Let's look at the list and break some people up and put the others, even give them a name. One side, David. David was on one side. The guy had faith in what happened. He killed Goliath. Absolutely miraculous. David was a person that had faith and he conquered armies. And he was on this side that, you know, at the beginning of the chapter where you had faith and things would be completely entirely conquered. But what about the other person named Jonathan? <laughs> Jonathan have faith? Did Jonathan have good character? Did Jonathan have integrity? Did Jonathan trust God? Was Jonathan a faithful friend to David? Was Jonathan a faithful son to his father who was Saul? Was Jonathan the heir of the throne that God gave to David rather than him? Was Jonathan a good guy? Jonathan was extremely good. 
raised above all in regards to his faith. Never went to the throne, never had the throne, and died young in a battlefield. And so that's a story we don't necessarily want to tell, but we have David on one side, and then we also have Jonathan on this other side. But what is going on? What is taking place? Both of them had faith, but this person succeeded in his faith and this person didn't. Let's tell another story. Peter was on one side. Peter was uh, a person that had great success over one story according to Acts chapter 12. Peter's great success is that he was locked up into prison. And when he was locked up in prison, his trial was going to be tomorrow with King Herod. And uh, things were not looking good for Peter. But there's a prayer meeting that was taking place. People that were faithful that said, we have to pray for the rescue of Peter. So what did they do? They prayed and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And what happened to Peter? His chains fell off. And after his chains fell off, he, did, he walked out the door and he went to the prayer meeting's house. And when he went to the prayer meeting's house, they said, it's a ghost outside. It's a great story. Boy, I'd love to preach on that story. There's a ghost outside. And there's, no, no, it's not a ghost. God answered our prayer. We are faithful. And God answered Great, great story. But have you ever read the entire chapter? In chapter 12 of Acts, what takes place in the first two verses or three verses of the chapter? There was another person um, that wasn't so lucky. Do you know who that was? It was James. James was beheaded. And then they started the story of Peter. In fact, the scholars believe that the prayer meeting that was taking place for Peter was not a prayer meeting designed for Peter. It was a prayer meeting designed for James. And as they're sitting there praying, they all of a sudden get the news. And what's the news? We're praying for James, and all of a sudden he got beheaded. And then all of a sudden they heard another news. Peter's there. So what do they do? We just anchor down, we continue to pray, we continue to pray, we continue to pray. But Peter would be on this side in that story. And then what about James. And theological issues start to arise and say, well, was there not enough faith to save James? Did James have some internal sins? Was there not enough prayer? What's going on in regards to James being destroyed and Peter being alive? And we try, we try, to, we try to make sense of that. And um, as we try to make sense of it, we can come up with a whole bunch of objects or different things of what's going on and what God thinks of people and faith. But there's just two different people on two different sides. What about John the Baptist? Here he was in prison. I would say he's one of the most faithful people he can possibly ever have. And he had people that were feeding him, disciples that were feeding him in prison, trying to take care of him through the prison doors. And one time the disciples came to, and this is in chapter 11 of Matthew, the disciples came to and says, you know, I'm starting to doubt. (laughs) I'm starting to wonder if Jesus is the Messiah. If Jesus is God, can you go ask him to see if he is God. I want information. And the disciples go ask Jesus. It says, John the Baptist asks, are you the one? And what did Jesus say? You go tell John the Baptist that the blind see and the sick are healed. And then they go bring those words to a dungeon where John the Baptist is at and say, he is because the blind see and the sick healed. But look at John the Baptist in prison. If he is that powerful, why am I still in prison? I'm supposed, to be, I'm supposed to be his right-hand guy. Why am I still in prison? And then right into chapter 14, his head was taken off. So you'd have John the Baptist on the other, the other side. Everybody in the stories, all the Old Testament, everybody in the Old Testament stories and everybody in the New Testament stories, they had focused faith. Every one of them had focused faith. And do you know where their faith was focused? Their faith was not focused on results. 
their faith was focused on the resurrection, including the people in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is even pushing towards it. One day we will be alive again with God, and this is not our home. There was such focus in the resurrection that they hung on to it and let God do whatever the results were. Let God do whatever the results were. Hold on to the resurrection, and we will pray for results that we desire, but we're going to relax because this is our stone that we're standing on. Resurrection, resurrection, resurrection. We see that with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The officials told them to bow towards the God. And what did they words did they say? They said, uh, bow towards God or you're going to be thrown in a fiery furnace. Their words were, if we are not going to bow, and if we do bow and you throw us into a fiery furnace, you know what God's going to do? He's going to rescue us. But then they said, if he doesn't rescue us, we just want you to know that we are still not going to bow. Do you see there's a focus there? And the focus is, I'm not even going to be rescued, is I am going to be in the center of God's will to proclaim his name no matter what happens to me. Because there's, there's, there's a resurrection. You see, this is where we get our strength from. Our strength does not come from changing situations, rebuilding countries, rebuilding things that we believe that God desires. It comes from resurrection because God is the one that does all the work. And all the work was at the cross and at the resurrection, and his name will be proclaimed through the process, but we have to anchor ourselves there rather than over here. Number two, if your only understanding of faith is that God will allow you to conquer overwhelming odds, experience miraculous rescues, and complete majestic tasks, then we're doomed. The problem with many Christians is that we have an agenda for Christ, and we believe that our agenda for Christ is Christ's agenda. But when you look at the 12 disciples, 11 disciples, every single one of them were martyred. I don't think that that was what they thought their agenda was for God. God had agenda to proclaim his name, and he calls us people to anchor into that agenda. And when it doesn't go our way, we're not supposed to get afraid. We're not supposed to have anxiety. We're not supposed to freak out. We're supposed to still continue with a smile on our face. We're supposed to continue to have peace, have no anxiety. Why? Because we're not anchored into the agenda that we think is God's agenda. We're anchored into something else which is more strong, which has already been completed and will be completely proclaimed in the last days, and that is the resurrection. Faith is not using God to fix situations. Faith is embracing God through situations and then praising him if they get fixed. Faith is not using God to fix situations. Faith is embracing God through all situations. And as we're praising God through all situations, you know what he's doing? He's actually going to do something miraculous because that's exactly what the world needs. The world needs to know that believer, a Christian, that his church stands above the world and is hanging on to something else by the sides of situations that we are faced with in our country. Number three, faith is not. That word is not in there because I missed it. It's supposed to say not. Faith is not designed to conquer the world. Faith is designed to conquer you. Every resuscitation that has ever taken place in the Bible, all the healings that have taken place, 
with Jesus and also the apostles. Every miracle that has ever happened, every divine intervention, every parting of the sea, which there was two partings of the sea, every miracle that has taken place was done to proclaim that God carries the power that he can resurrect, which means restore all. He's making a statement. I have the power to restore all. And the reason why I'm healing today is that you will be able to see the power of God and be able to have your faith in that. He can restore all as we watch what's taking place in this situation. And as we're looking at that, we can literally say, looking at God, that the resurrection is all we need. What happens is that we're in a world where nobody really wants to die. And uh, we do want things to be fixed, but really we want to be comfortable and we really don't want, we don't want to die. And the reason why we don't want to die is because we're afraid of death. And the reason why we're afraid of death is because we're concerned about the unknown. Uh, what's going to happen when we die? And uh, this, is, this is, you know, across the globe. This is within the church. This is across people that do not know Jesus. They're, I mean, this is just across the globe. That we are so afraid to die because there is an unknown. And with the unknown, we start to question what is going to happen. And there is that, like, oh, boy, this is not looking good. Epicurus even said, I can die happy if I knew for sure that death was the end. But since nobody knows for sure that death is the end, I cannot die happy. See, there's, there's that fear there. And it, fear speaks to absolutely every single human being that's in the world. And it's this fear of, I do not know what's going to happen when I die. It's, it's in there. I will tell you that that's what's creating anxiety. That's what's creating fear. That's what's creating all these things is what is going to take place. And many religions try to come to combat that fear. And what they do is they give us many stories and religious stories. There is life is beyond death, and this is what you need to do. And they give us step one, step two, step three, step four, life beyond death. And we read the stories, and what does it do? It calms down our fear a little bit, but then there's a lot of doubt. Christianity does not give you stories about there's life beyond death. Christianity gives you Jesus who died and then was rose again. Christianity actually gives you a person to say, this is what's going to happen. Going to live a perfect life. Going to die on the cross. Going to be put in the grave and then going to rise again so we can see it. So we can see it. So we can be moved by it as we understand that we don't have to be afraid of death. Because if he rose again, what happens? It is a statement that death has been, has been conquered. It's a statement that we will rise again as he is in control. And that's what these champions of faith were holding on to. Hebrews 11, others were tortured and refused to be released. I'm being tortured. I refuse to relief, but I'm hanging on to something. And the thing that I'm hanging on to is so that they may have a better resurrection in the end. I am so confident that when I die, I will rise again because I do not hear stories about what's going to happen after death. I see a person who died. I see God made man, Jesus, who died and then rose again, conquering death. And God is saying, there's the meat. There's the meat that I want to hold on to, that we need to hold on to. Even in the New Testament, he's pushing back. There's the meat. The Old Testament was waiting for the Messiah to come to say, here's the meat. There will be someone who raises from the dead. This is the meat that will get you through absolutely anything because all of our troubles and all of our trials and all the things that we're faced with in the world is just kind of going to a 
tip of the sword, which is our death. And when we go to the tip of the sword, which is our death, what is going to happen? We can look back at Jesus and say, he rose from the dead, a person. He rose from the dead, therefore I will live again. Hebrews 11 says, the world was not worthy of them. These guys had faith and it made them too good for the world. They were so happy, so excited that they were going to raise from the dead because Jesus rose from the dead and the world looked at them and said, we don't even understand them. In fact, the world looked at them and says, they're not even worthy of the world. These guys were beyond the world and they stood out and we're still reading their stories today. They stood out and we're still reading their stories today. Their whole world fell apart. But it fell apart a little later, too. And then it fell apart a little later. And when you read history, it falls apart here, it falls apart here, it falls apart here, it falls apart here. We're in 2020, and we're like, the world is falling apart. Well, if we survive to 2030, you know, how many more times is it going to fall apart before it gets to 2030? That's up and down, up and down, up and down. But the resurrection is solid. The resurrection doesn't move. The resurrection, I would say, is even proven. Because if you look back 2,000 years ago, there is no logical explanation of why the Christian church started. And there is no logical explanation why people were willing to die for their faith unless they knew that somebody died, Jesus died, and Jesus rose again, and then it has carried 2,000 years and now has carried to us. Number four, when faith has conquered you, the world around you will be conquered. When we start looking at faith, we're thinking faith is going to conquer this situation, or faith is going to conquer that situation, faith is going to conquer this situation. Faith is not designed to conquer situations. Faith is designed to conquer you because when you are conquered, situations will change. Why? Because light will be betrayed on situations. You see how God uses faithful people? Faithful people are a conquered people, and when they are conquered, there's only one name that can be explained if there's something miraculous happens, and that is God. Because all these champions of faith are not taking credit for what took place. All these champions of faith are saying, I am a conquered individual. I give up. Have mercy. It is over. God, I am nothing. Save me. And then all of a sudden, something amazing takes place, and what are they doing? Well, God wanted to do that because I had faith, but if he wanted to kill me, that would have been all right too. God's name was proclaimed in my life because I had faith, but it was not because of what I did. It was because of what he did in regards to that. Stephen, most powerful statement, I believe, in Scripture, and Jesus uses it too, was being stoned and his flesh was falling off his, or however it works, flesh falling off his, his body as rocks were hitting him as he was being stoned. And what does he say the words? He says the words, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. That is a man who has been so conquered that a stone couldn't break him. A stone could not destroy him. A stone could not kill him. And then the person that was officiating the stoning was who? Saul, who became Paul. And if you read Paul's books, which he wrote 12 Pauline epistles, it's, it's almost obvious that Stephen was on his mind. <laughs> what I mean by obvious that Stephen was on his mind is that he mentioned so many times that we have to be above the world and what even started his Christian faith is looking at that person that was above the world, which was Stephen, as he was being stoned, that carried a strength beyond his situation, and is God has something bigger out there. God has something more out there. And when the world sees that God has something bigger out there, more out there from us, 
then what's going to take place is divine intervention will take place to the world, and it will be at what God wants to do with it, rather than even what we want to do with it. Hebrews eleven twenty nine, or it would be 39. These were all commended, talking about the Old Testament prophets, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what, what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that, the, so that only together with us they would be made perfect. I want to go through this verse very slow because it's, actually, it's a confusing verse if you, if you look at it, but to see what's going on. These were commended for their faith. This is talking about the Old Testament saints. The Old Testament saints, before the resurrection, were commended for what? Their faith. None of them, none of these Old Testament saints received what was promised. What was promised to these Old Testament saints? What was promised is a resurrection. What was promised is a live resurrection which was done by Jesus Christ. They did not get to see the live resurrection of what was done by Jesus Christ. We get to look back and we get to read the words of what took in place. But the Old Testament faiths did not see what was promised. And then it says, but God had planned something better for who? Us. That means people in Hebrews. That means us in 2020. Something better for us so that only together with us, they, the Old Testament saints, will be made perfect. You see what's taking place is God, all of people in the past and us are going to be completed at the city of God for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's saying, anchor here, anchor here, anchor here. The Old Testament were waiting for here and they believed that it was gonna happen, that Jesus was gonna come and it was gonna happen. So they said, we'll continue to have faith because it is our anchor. And then we get something better. <laughs> What's the better? We get to look back 2,000 years and say, on our planet, Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose, the resurrection happened. And we get to hear it from the witnesses, the eyewitnesses that are in Bible. And as we get to hear it from the eyewitnesses, we get to proclaim it to the world that Jesus has resurrected. And one day, since Jesus has resurrected, we will resurrect it. And see how he's, God is just pulling them all together, the Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints, all focused on the city of God. And as we're all focused on the city of God, there's our peace. There's our rest. There's our comfort. There's our strength in times of trial. The Old Testament saints did not have the words, Christ in us. We have the words, Christ in us. And what happens when we have the words Christ in us? Well, if we have the words Christ in us, something is going to come out. <laughs> Whatever comes out the world is going to need. <laughs> if Christ is in us, something is going to come out, and whatever comes out, the world is going to need. What comes out when Christ is in us? Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what a person looks like when they have Christ in us. Do you see what we can offer a world that is in complete turmoil? You see what we can offer a world that is in complete turmoil? Is we can make an impact on the world because Christ I will, loves, I'm not going to say loves, bad times are famous for Jesus Christ. Bad times are famous for Jesus Christ because our light, his light of the church, shines brighter with the power of the resurrection in Christ in us to the world that we live in. And that's exactly what our world needs. Number five, to be fearless in uncertain times, you must believe that a Christian gets rich by his losses, 
rises by his falls, goes on by being pushed back, lives by dying and grows by being diminished and becomes full by being emptied. That is faith. Faith is believing that God himself is better than anything that life can give us or anything that death can take away from us. God, you have completed the task. We get the task because everything's going to be restored, even though it doesn't look restored today. It will all be restored, and the reason why it's all going to be restored is because we can hold on to the resurrection because it is a statement that it's going to be restored. Therefore, in our lives, we can have peace, we can have joy, we can be kind, we can have faithfulness, and we can have gentleness, and we can have self-control, and we can be able to maintain what Christ wants us to maintain to a world that is not maintaining it. It is something that we have, and it's the greatest gift that we can have, and we've got to put our faith not in something else, which would be reformation, or it would even be resuscitation, or anything else, but put our faith in that resurrection, because that's the rock that God planted on this earth for us to put our faith in. God, we just thank you for giving us promises, promises that this world will someday be completely restored, that everybody will be risen from the dead and there will be no more death as death is conquered. God, we just thank you so much, God, that you're in control and then giving us information, God, of your control and the power you have to make everything good again. God, I just pray that as we go through these trial times, these difficult times in this world, that we would just be able to shine your light, the light of the resurrection that is in us. Empower us to do so. In Christ's name, amen.